1: Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we
0: explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: On today's show, we take your etiquette questions about not getting together with sick friends, a doozy of social awkwardness, travel for bridesmaids, and what to do with serious dietary restrictions and food-related work events.
0: Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment from Kelly Williams Brown's book, Gracious. Coming up... Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we have been independent officially for a year today. So, happy new year. Happy new year. Happy us. Happy anniversary, anniversary. new yeah. year. We are very grateful to be independent at this point in our career with the with the show. And it really wouldn't be possible without you. And so, for we, we really love to say it a lot, but we want to say it again. Thank you for making this possible. Thank you for sending in your questions. Thank you for sending in your feedback and your salutes that build the show each week for us. And also, thank you to those of you who have chosen to become sustaining members and financially contribute to making this show possible. We are incredibly grateful for all the support at every level we receive it at. I have to add
1: my thanks to the chorus. Heck yeah. We have turned <laughs> to you, our audience, again and again and again for help to make this show what it is. And... I like your point, Lizzie Post, Mm -hmm. that it really is those questions that are the beating heart of this show, that drive the discussion, that fuel us, that keep this etiquette conversation going. It's also your feedback. It's also your interest in the postscripts and your etiquette salutes that pick us up at the end of every show. But we have also, over the course of this last year, asked you for very specific help a couple of times and by visiting Awesome Etiquette at post.com and becoming a sustaining member, you contribute financially to help keeping the show going. And we want to thank everyone very personally who has made that effort. We so, so appreciate that. We also did a call to action earlier this year where we asked people to share the show with friends and family, with people that they think would enjoy this show. And we know because we've heard from those people That they have, and they've become a part of our audience. We want to welcome all of those new arrivals, and we want to thank everyone who spread the word about Awesome Etiquette over this last year. We want to ask you to keep it up. It really does help us grow this show, and we're really glad that you're playing a part in helping people who would like this show find it.
0: Because it is the new year, and we make resolutions, and we've had the conversation about my swearing resolutions for too many years in a row now— I thought we would do a different resolution this year. What do you got? Okay, so one of the things that we know podcast listeners love, yes, I yes, among them. you among them, Dan is raising his hand, is a regular release hour and day of the week for the show. And we, this year, really want to commit to getting you, a, our listeners, a regular release time for the show that you can count on, that is consistent and reliable, so that you know exactly when your awesome etiquette will be available to you.
1: And I am sitting here nodding along because technically this is a job that often falls on my plate. I get a lot of help from the support team here at the show. I love-
0: the fact that you yourself presented this idea,
1: <laughs> well, and and I presented it because I, I want to hold myself accountable, and we do a good job of getting this show out every Monday, and we shoot for a time sometime in the afternoon. But I am one of those podcast <laughs> listeners who loves to know when my show is going to arrive. I wait for my favorite shows each week, and I pretty much set my watch by their delivery, and I want to provide that same sort of feeling of satisfaction to our listeners, and. This is a a New Year's resolution, and like all New Year's resolutions, I imagine that there will be times I will slip up. (laughs) But by making this such a public resolution, I also hope to hold myself accountable and to to get the team that is the team that makes this show happen on board with it as well. So with great fanfare, beginning next week, we plan to have Awesome Etiquette available to you on your favorite podcast app at 2 o'clock p.m. EST on Monday.
0: I will do everything I can to support that and to support you in this effort. Awesome, awesome resolution for awesome etiquette, cousin. I love it.
1: We have other ideas for the new year, and we will continue to talk about them as this new year unfolds. But in the interest of not piling up the resolutions too deep on day one, week one of the new year, let's, let's leave it at that for now.
0: <laughs> We're going to make one commitment right now. <laughs>
1: But we do want to say thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being with us for another year. And we really look forward to the year to come. So stick around and hear what happens next. I think they're questions. (laughs) Let's get to some questions.
0: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, storywort dot slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show.
1: Our first question begins, so you're sick. (laughs) Hi, Dan and Lizzie. First, I love, love, love your podcast. Listening to you regularly has taught me how to think through tough etiquette conundrums. I never get tired of hearing personal stories from listeners and listening to you discuss and sometimes debate the best etiquette for dealing with sticky situations. That said, I was at a loss recently on how to deal with a social obligation involving a friend who said that she was feeling sick. I had made plans with a couple of friends to meet up for happy hour. We have all been busy around the holidays with work and travel and other social obligations, so I was really looking forward to seeing my friends. One of them told me via text message just before I was set to head out the door that she has been feeling like she is coming down with a cold. I know that getting sick in the winter is a risk we all live with and can't possibly eliminate completely. However, talking to someone who you know is sick for an extended period of time in a loud bar setting where you might have to lean in closer than usual seemed like an additional cold-catching risk that I did not want to take. Viruses can spread by talking in addition to sneezing and touching. I could not decide if it would be rude if I canceled after she told me she was sick because my reason would have been obvious and felt self-centered. Should she have canceled so as not to share her sickness with others? While it's impossible to avoid getting sick completely, I have a couple of holiday parties coming up very soon, including work functions, that I want to be well enough to enjoy. For the record, everyone showed up, and she was definitely sick and looked pretty miserable. (laughs) If I am the sick person in this scenario next time, what is the appropriate thing to do? Cancel? Don't cancel but tell others I'm not feeling well? Or go with it because germs are everywhere in the winter and you can never totally avoid getting sick. Thank you in advance. Alyssa.
0: Alyssa, this is such a, a dilemma. Like, this is one that definitely plagues folks. And it's uncomfortable because you don't want to be insulting someone like, you're diseased, I can't spend time with you. And you don't want to come across as so uptight or concerned about it when the reality is germs are around you all the time. So I love your three questions at the end that really kind of weigh out the the varying <laughs> levels of concern here. One thing I did want to mention is that having previously worked on a, a number of campaigns with the CDC and the NFID, around the flu time, we at the Emily Post Institute have learned that you can only actually catch germs by having them enter through an orifice, so think mouth, nose, eyes, ears. And if it's on your skin, as long as you go, like, wash your hands, for instance, this is why we say you don't have to make up lies or or worry about saying, oh, no, I shouldn't touch you, we can't shake hands for an introduction because you actually can shake hands just don't then put your hands anywhere near your head keep them below your shoulders below you know elbow level and lower and you can go wash your hands and you are not likely to get sick the issue Alyssa brings up, however, that is real, is the close proximity talking, and that really can be a concern. And if your friend coughs or sneezes and you inhale that, yeah, you have a real worry here. So, if you're in a job where you might get sick, if you have someone in your family or your household who is uh, immunocompromised, that that could be an issue for you. That would make it very real and very reasonable for you to say, "I have to be really cautious about not picking up germs." So. So I would love to reschedule if if you do think that you're feeling sick Um, or, you know, we could video chat tonight, you know, if you want to hang out. I'm just throwing out some other option as a positive. But I think it's realistic to sometimes be able to say, I'm sorry, but if you feel like you're sick, maybe it's best we get together a different time.
1: I think that sounds really reasonable. And like you, I want to give etiquette gold stars and kudos for thinking about both sides of this etiquette equation. That it's how do I respond when someone tells me this and what would I say if I were in their situation? This kind of process thinking is so perfect for figuring out an answer that's really a good answer because you're really thinking about both people and how they're affected. So
0: that's the other question that Alyssa asked. What do you think? She asked, um, what should I do if I'm the person feeling sick?
1: My first thought is that you have to really say to yourself, am I well enough to be out? Am I going to enjoy it? And I think that if you're honestly sick, that is a a valid reason to cancel. A thought that has sort of been bubbling in my mind that's part of that kind of middle territory, Do I do I tell others how I'm feeling and kind of let them participate in the decision making? I think sometimes people mention this because they're hoping to get that absolution, that Offer Well, if you're not feeling well, would you rather stay home? They don't necessarily want to make that cancel themselves. And I think it's a valid reason to change plans or cancel. If you're really not feeling well, I think you want to let people know as soon as possible, but you can be upfront. And, and clear about it. We talked about this a little bit on last week's show. You don't need to give them all the gory right. details.
0: I'm,
1: I'm scared that in a close talking situation I might actually spit Infect a little bit and it you. might land on your face and I have concerns. Like we, we, It doesn't necessarily <laughs> need to be there. But you can say that you're really not feeling well, that you're both concerned about your ability to enjoy it and about getting other people sick and you want to reschedule for a time when you could.
0: I like the idea, too, of of making an offer if you're in that really early stage where you're not sure if you're really sick. You know, do you just simply have a stuffy nose or did you wake up tired or did some, you know, dust allergies kick in and you aren't certain? You can always offer the other person the option Of making the decision. You know, you could say, hey, I just want you to know I have been feeling a little stuffy. I know some folks are real concerned about getting sick during this time. I really wanted to make it your call. I feel alert enough to go out and have a good time, but I wanted to be honest about where I think I'm at.
1: And then I can say, that's all right. I'm healthy as an ox. I don't get sick. (laughs) And I'm going away for the holidays. We wouldn't get a chance to see each other till... February or March of the new year. Let's, <laughs> you're willing to risk it. Let's make this happen if you're feeling up to it. And I
0: like it. <laughs> or
1: I can say, you know, I'm headed home for the holidays and I want to be sure I'm in the best possible shape. Let's reschedule for when I get back.
0: I love it. Alyssa, we hope that that helps with this very real dilemma.
1: While poor George stays in bed, his careless habits have made Jim miss the Kermis too. And Jim is restless in bed. Now he knows it pays to avoid people with colds.
0: Our next question is titled, Oh, schnitzel, and it's a doozy. Amy writes, Thank you in advance for taking the time to read this. I have a complicated and embarrassing scenario for which I am retroactively seeking advice. Here is the background. First, I have a friendly relationship with my sister-in-law. However, the reality is, I do not particularly care for her or her parenting style. It's not what I would choose. But I am careful to maintain a pleasant demeanor with her for the sake of my parents, brother, and nephews. Several times, I have shared points of frustration concerning my sister-in-law with my friend, Emma. Emma detests her sister-in-law, and she raises the issue with some frequency. So the second point you need to know is that I am friends with my sister-in-law's best friend, Kara, from college. Although they have drifted apart over the past five years, they certainly maintain contact, if not at the previous level. So here's what happened. Yesterday evening, I was having drinks with Emma and Kara. They know each other through me, and we have socialized together on a number of occasions. Still, I am much closer with each of them than they are with each other. Emma was beginning to tell a story about her sister in law, and she began by saying, Annie hates her sister in law just like me. There was a moment of absolute silence as Emma processed what she had said, and I attempted to gather myself. To make matters worse, Kara's husband immediately identified the tension and said something to the effect of, This is so awkward. I love it. I said, No, my sister-in-law is great! It sounded so lame and ineffective. Emma, realizing that she was in the company of my sister-in-law's close friend, attempted to repair the moment, but it was definitely awkward and untrue. As I said, there are moments of frustration, but I don't hate my sister-in-law. Mostly, I don't want it to get back to my sister-in-law and start a family drama. So... Understanding that this entire situation could have been avoided if I had been a kinder person who did not talk about my sister-in-law behind her back. Is there a way that I could have handled this moment? By extension, is there a way to generally handle these types of miserable, awkward moments with grace? I look forward to hearing from you. Happy holidays. Sincerely, Annie.
1: Oh, Annie, I feel for you. These sorts of awkward, embarrassing moments are just the worst. And it's not easy. It's really, I I just have to start by acknowledging that and I can feel it in the tone of your writing that you have genuine contrition about this and that you're thinking about ways that you could handle yourself better in the future. You're also thinking about what you could have done in that moment. And I imagine you're also probably thinking, is there anything I can do now to repair this situation? And I think those are all uh, really valid and important things to think about whenever we're faced with a moment where we're not at our best, where we want to prevent it from happening again, we want to do our best when it happens, and we want to be better moving forward. So a couple of thoughts. One, that word hate is such a strong word, and I can understand how it could make you clench, and it's one of those... Cliches is that thing my mother used to tell me. She'd be really careful with how you use the word hate. Do you really hate something? And just like you don't really hate your sister-in-law, I'm guessing your friend doesn't really hate her sister-in-law either. And it's it speaks to the 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 way we use language with care and particularly when we're talking about other people um that you know oh i hate that flavor of cookie is one thing but even that level starts to of of invective starts to bring a certain familiarity with that degree of hatred hatred that
0: or emotion that you're labeling as hatred
1: that i really think it's worth thinking about and yeah. for me my in the moment answer is i might Talk about that word, I might say, "No, I really don 't hate so and so I think that 's a valid thing to to address in the moment, but in terms of thinking about the bigger questions of how you managed this relationship previously and how you manage it going forward that 's a bigger question yeah, and i 'm curious your thoughts on this, Lizzie post
0: all right. So I really felt for this situation because I think that uh, one of the things we have going on here is that there's this notion that you should never say anything out loud that you wouldn't say to someone's face. And I think that notion is unrealistic in a lot of ways. It's important to own things. It's important to be able to take responsibility for the words that you put out there. But I think it's also important to understand that many of us vent to people about things, whether it's a therapist, a mother, a father, a best friend, a sister, a cousin. We have people in our lives we talk to about the frustrations we experience and that conversation often helps us decide whether or not we need to confront the issue with the person that the issue is about, and it can be really useful to have a place to talk about those frustrations when you have an ongoing frustration in your life. But I think balance is the important part here. And you talk about Annie wanting to to know what to do in the future. Balancing this conversation in the future will help give your friend Emma a more realistic view of your perspective on your sister-in-law. I don't think you have to just walk around only saying kind things about your sister-in-law, but you you want to paint the fair portrait of her. And that's something that you can use in this awkward moment to be honest about the situation that occurred and in some ways represent yourself as a human being. I might try some sample language like this. Kara. It is true that I vent to Emma about my family, but I do not say that I hate Amy. I would like to be clear that that is an exaggeration. I have frustrations, and Emma is my person that I share them with. And I hope you'll understand, and I hope that you will know that I am going to take this experience and make sure that I represent all of my sister-in-law when I talk about her, and not just the frustrations, because clearly that has led to an unpleasant and awkward situation. And I think that that is a way to be honest and realistically honest about what happened. You're not straight up blaming Emma for what she has caused, because the reality is that if you had given Emma a different picture of your sister-in-law, this might not have happened. And that's a way to be responsible without placing blame also on someone else. But but being realistic, too. I, I do talk about my family like this. And if I was Kara, I might hear that. And Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I might hear that and think, yeah, I do that, too. I have people I talk to and I can see how this would be awkward. (laughs) What do you think? Like, I'm dying to know. I could also hear Kara
1: thinking to herself, boy, I think that about that sister-in-law, too, sometimes. (laughs)
0: You never know.
1: You never know. And I like the way that response is rounded out. Yeah. And I think that you've really got to judge, and it's hard, in that moment, which comes and goes so quickly. Um, but at the same time, you really seem to have acknowledged, Annie seems to have acknowledged here, that it was a very charged moment. Yeah, I think that so. I like the husband's attempt at humor just a little bit. Sometimes that can <laughs> help diffuse one of these charged moments.
0: <laughs> She's saying it didn't, or she didn't feel like it did. But I I also, I'm glad you're recognizing him in this. Oh, and
1: I'm imagining a midway step between a, com- a complete accounting <laughs> yeah. that says something like, oh, I, I, I really don't hate her.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um,
1: that, that communicates a lot of what you just said explicitly, but if you can Simple. deliver it with an emotional tone that yes. says, yes. "I acknowledge that's a little harsher than I would want it to sound," and at mm-hmm. the same time, I want to moderate that a little bit because that's not the totality of how I feel. Yeah, that and, and but it's hard. These, these moments come and go very quickly, and finding that
0: right dosage right. can be tricky. I also think we've got Emma in this situation. And I think that if you really wanted to take the high road as a friend, rather than use this moment to be really annoyed at the big faux pas Emma just made, use it to apologize to Emma for not having presented the reality to her because she did have the impression. And she might have been projecting her own feelings for her own sister-in-law onto your situation for sure. We, We can all hear that at times. But at the same time, just saying to her, you know, Emma, I want you to know that I'm going to be better about telling you the good things or giving you a more balanced picture of the people in my life. That's also a really good way to encourage Emma to also do the same. And you had mentioned at the very start that these conversations happen with frequency about the sister-in-laws. And that might be a way for both of you to change the internal monologue too.
1: I really like that. This is the direction where I think the advice starts to really work well. I don't think – I hear the fear that this is going to get back to the right. sister-in-law. I don't know if you can sort of preemptively go and anticipate that happening without maybe making the situation worse.
0: Right. I agree. Like you wouldn't – I think what you're trying to say, Dan, is you wouldn't say, Kara, please don't tell my sister-in-law I said this. I
1: like, don't think I would. This,
0: yeah. I don't think I would do that And I don't think, I would, I, don't do think I would go
1: talk to the sister-in-law unless I was really – sure Sure that this was going to get back to her. And that's a little bit tricky. But I think you've got to, in some ways, assume the honesty and the intelligence of the people you're interacting with, that they would moderate this message, that they won't run and gossip about it. And that's just a a little internal fear that you live with. And maybe that helps you be a little more accountable and treat that sister-in-law with a little more kindness to work on that relationship in a way that would allow it to survive That type of gossip, if it does get back to her. I also feel a secondary concern here about the impression that this starts to create about you. Not just about the information getting back to your sister-in-law, but that this starts to create an impression that you're someone who's venting takes a really negative tone about people. And I think the advice that you just gave, Lizzie, works really well to start to address that. That you want to round out the way you talk to people. You want to allow yourself to process negative feelings and emotions, but you don't want that to become the totality either of the way you talk about another person or the way you interact with someone. Exactly, That someone isn't just your venting buddy. Right. That, that you let in that, itself
0: can become toxic. That it, but, you let that <laughs>
1: relationship grow and be more than just that venting experience yeah. also because that's asking a lot of that other person to absorb that. Annie, I also want to thank you for sharing this with us. These are awkward moments, but they really provide a rich opportunity to think about what's important. And it can feel a little risky to share, but I really appreciate the opportunity to think about this difficult situation.
0: Dan and I want to close this by saying bravo for working to keep family relationships functioning. I know it doesn't feel like it based on this particular awkward moment. However, at the heart of this, what you're really trying to do is take your own personal opinion and frustration and not have that negatively affect your family. And I know that it, it's, it's got this moment of danger right now, but I think that using a lot of the things that we talked about today, you can minimize the damage from that and continue to work towards having a really wonderful family experience despite some of the frustrations you feel. Annie, good luck, and we hope this gives you some reassurance. The drugstore was a favorite hangout. Some of the kids drank Cokes, others read magazines, and they all talked. Talking's lots of fun, except sometimes when you talk about people, that's when the trouble starts.
1: Our next question is about bridesmaids' woes. Hello. My nephew's bride-to-be is from New York State, and all of our family lives in Chicago. The bridal party includes eight bridesmaids, including the Maid of Honor from the New York area, and four other bridesmaids who are in the Chicago area. About two weeks after the expected bridal shower date, the entire group is flying to New Orleans for the bachelorette extravaganza. The questions are, what would be acceptable when it comes to the four Chicago-based bridesmaids when it comes to participation in the bridal shower? In light of the fact that these four would be expected to purchase three round-trip airfares, two to New York and one to New Orleans, just to support this joyous occasion for this great friend, do you think that it is an absolute requirement for the Chicago-based bridesmaids to attend the shower in New York? Or do you think that there has to be a separate shower in the Chicago area, and if so, who should host and pay for it? Or do you think it's acceptable to have the Chicago bridesmaids ship the gifts to the bride's family to be opened at the New York shower? That would be in lieu of having to spend even more money, of course. An understanding bridal party would know that they are all gathering in New Orleans anyway. Thank you for any help or opinions that you'd like to share. Jack.
0: Can I just say that we need to recognize that Jack is the uncle of the groom and he is concerned about the bridesmaids. And I love that. I really do. Um,
1: Jack and Jill shower? Jack. haha.
0: Ha. We are going to blow your mind on this. Bridesmaids aren't obligated to host or attend showers. They mind aren't blown. They are obligated to do it. You know, they're obligated to show up. They're obligated to wear what's asked of them and participate in the way that they are being asked to. But that does not go on to demanding travel schedules beyond the wedding itself. It's really tough because bridesmaids get torn between wanting to be super supportive, wanting to have fun and enjoy these events that are really fun to celebrate, and yet having money and time. People do not realize that people just don't have the time to take off from work to do all the travel required to attend every wedding event when Folks live far away. I think that it would be perfectly acceptable for the bridesmaids to send their gifts to the New York showers, either one or both of those showers. It would be fine if they all decided they wanted to and it would be the right thing to host their own shower. Bridesmaids are not required to be the hosts of showers. Shower invitations do not obligate you to send a gift if you RSVP. No, it is only the wedding invitation itself that does that. So, there are a lot of things about wedding etiquette that immediately relieve the quote unquote burden. And the financial and travel burden on these bridesmaids, um, they are they are not required to do any of this. Um, always their budget should come first. Yeah. So what
1: I'm hearing is yeah. that in some ways it's even a, a step Easier. into that opportunity territory to make a decision to send a gift to one of those New York showers.
0: Because I love the way you think and really do think of it as an opportunity. And if it's an opportunity you can't afford to take up right now, bridesmaids, that's okay.
1: And it would be an opportunity if you wanted to host a shower in Chicago, that would be okay. We say it's okay to have a couple showers, but it's absolutely not an obligation.
0: It would be an opportunity to use wonderful digital communication means of video chatting to have the Chicago bridesmaids attend the shower if they would like to. They could send their gifts ahead of time and participate during the opening of the gifts. You know, you just aim that camera right on the the bride and groom and you're good to go.
1: And I'm thinking there's a opportunity here to have a great time yeah. at the bridal party extravaganza in New Orleans.
0: The the Bachelorette extravaganza. Yes. No, totally. I think that, you know, maybe the bridesmaids get together and say that along with the Bachelorette, we are going to also have a mini shower where we just bring our shower gifts and we can all gather for that there. That would be another option. Showers can be hosted by friends, coworkers, family, bridesmaids, whomever. The options abound. Jack, we hope that this helps. We love how much you're thinking about all the parties and players involved and and the fairness to them. Um, And we hope that this is a really fun and wonderful wedding and set of wedding parties to attend. Jack, thanks
1: for this question, and we hope you have a great time at the wedding.
0: Our next question is titled, Please Don't Cook for Me, and it's another kind of doozy. Dear Awesome Etiquette, Hello. Since one of my best friends introduced me to the pod over the summer, I've been working my way through the back catalog and have been loving every minute of audio. I'm writing in with a question concerning dietary restrictions and social work events. Due to chronic illness, I've had to make pretty significant dietary changes. As such, it's difficult for me to be sure about food I haven't made myself. I've also just moved and started a new awesome job where staff appreciation takes the form of food. Now, for the two events that have come up so far, I've been able to make at least one thing that I know I'm okay to eat. Thank you for giving me sample scripts to do that so elegantly, by the way. However, there's an event coming up in the spring that I don't know how to handle. Student Staff Appreciation Day. The deal is that the full-time staff solicits requests from the student staff. I've been informed that as a grad student, I fall into the student staff category. And they make it happen. I know that my weird health requirements make it difficult, if not impossible, to just buy something from the store. And I don't want to be difficult. It really is restricted to food. But with every weird thing I can't eat, I need to be really sure that the stuff I put into my body is okay for me. Looking forward to transcending the need for a physical form, but in the meantime, how do I handle this? Sincerely starving in Seattle. Starving in
1: Seattle. I your your name makes me want to like, whine like my cousin Lizzie because no I'm one like, wants no. to starve at the center. I really appreciate your good humor about yeah. this situation. I too am looking forward to transcending a physical form at some point. Hopefully, it's still many years in the future. <laughs> I also want to congratulate you on your new job and for thinking about the relationships there and being appreciative of the way that appreciation is shown at this new workplace and wanting to participate and be a part of that community and that culture. It speaks well to your long-term success. I want to reassure you that the heart of good etiquette is practicality, that safety comes first, safety trumps etiquette, that you don't ever need to feel bad about talking about dietary restrictions that impact your health. And as long as you're clear and you know what those boundaries are, sharing them with other people is an important part of participating well. And your job as a guest is to participate well and to respond to invitations in a way that lets your host be a really good host. So in the spirit of thinking about how to be the best possible guest you can be, I think you've got a couple of options in front of you. Yes, you do. An option that my cousin Lizzie came up with that I really liked that centers around finding some really simplified territory where you can participate. Is there something as simple as a raw apple, (laughs) like a really good bag of organic apples from a certain farm that you know doesn't use the pesticides that bother you or whatever, whatever the it issue is. is. Yeah. maybe it's a, a fruit salad maybe it's maybe there is something that you can give some direction about that's not too difficult for yeah. the person you're giving the direction to that allows them to participate and you to participate and it's-
0: it might not feel like a dish it might not feel like a, a made effort in that way but there are ingredients you're able to buy to, to to cook for yourself and i'm wondering if there's an option that's a little different but but right,
1: and it's okay to share that. You're yes. not being too demanding. This is really about giving someone the information they need to help you to participate, which it seems to be the spirit of what's going on here.
0: It also allows you to provide the list of things that are okay as opposed to trying to give someone a list of things that aren't okay and allow them to figure out and guess whether something is okay and then how they're supposed to prepare it. So try to use that simplicity as as a guide that will help
1: Maybe this isn't possible. Maybe the dietary restriction that you have is the kind of restriction where something can't even be cooked in a kitchen, where other types of foods are prepared, and there's just no way for you to safely accept food from someone where you haven't really tracked it from the time the package opens to the time that you eat it. And it's okay to also bow out, to make that an explanation of why you aren't participating. You want to talk to the organizer and tell them the reason that you'd rather not participate, but that you appreciate the spirit of this event, that you appreciate the thought, behind it. So it's okay to say no, to decline an invitation as a guest. When you're doing that, I think it really makes sense to talk to the person about why it's not going to work for you.
0: Yeah. And you don't have to reveal every detail, but my restrictions are severe enough that it's really important for me to prepare my own food. What I would love is to be able to participate in a different way, And tacking that on just lets them know that you really are behind the spirit of the day. And this is if you want to and can participate in a different way. But it'll at least convey to the organizer that you really appreciate the gesture that's being made and the consideration towards the student staff. And I think that that's important. You
1: could ask them if they have any ideas Great idea too. for other ways that you could participate or that this event could work. You could offer to come up with some ideas yourself, but you also don't want right, to take control of someone else's event or someone's system for showing appreciation. So that's a little bit tricky territory, but you can always make the offer. We oftentimes say that if you bring up a problem, you also want to offer to help and provide suggestions. So if you had an idea, if there was something that occurred to you, depending on how that conversation goes, you could absolutely share it. I'm also a little bit wondering if Depending on the formality of the event, you'd feel comfortable talking to whatever particular person you're assigned to yeah. if there's a way you two can work it out. I
0: that That it might that not
1: idea. be about the organizer <laughs> for the whole event. It might be that you're bringing your focus down, you're narrowing it a little bit, and you're just negotiating in the spirit of let's make this work with the person who you've been paired with or who you work with the most closely.
0: You might be able to say something like, Ms. Richardson, I appreciate the sentiment this day. However, I have a real conundrum. My diet is rather particular to the point that I really have to prepare my food myself. Would you mind if we came up with another way to honor or celebrate this tradition? I really love the day.
1: I feel good. Okay, cool. Starving in Seattle, we hope this helps. And we hope that you're both able to find some food that you enjoy and that you're able to participate in this day in a way that makes sense for everyone.
0: Thank you so much for your questions. Please send us comments and updates to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show.
1: Each week we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today's feedback comes from Robin. Thanks, as always, for a great podcast. I have some feedback on the Halloween Postscript. I disagree that older kids should not be trick-or-treating. Teens have tons of pressure on them to behave like adults already. This kid-oriented holiday is a great time to allow them to relax and be kids for an evening if they so choose. If a teenager comes to my door decked out in a great costume, enthusiastically enjoying this holiday activity, I'm certainly not going to look down my nose at them. Let kids be kids. And let teens be kids too, once in a while. I love that feedback.
0: I know, right? I love that feedback, too. It's just a a positive encouragement. I want to apologize if we gave the impression that teens who are participating well shouldn't be doing it. We absolutely agree. If you're going to participate well and really participate within those kind of hours of operation that trick-or-treating can be under, you know, sort of that up until nine o'clock rule, we think there's no reason why that that shouldn't be good. Those
1: teen years really are an in-between time in life, somewhere in between childhood and adulthood. And I, I enjoy, I like this reminder that it's okay to keep that child alive in all of us, particularly teens.
0: Jeff writes in about the scotch. Remember that we had an episode where we were discussing scotch, really expensive scotch being brought over, and is it okay to take it home? Do you only bring some of it? And I liked Jeff's perspective. I have never been to a friend's house where if scotch is brought, it is not taken home by the provider at the end of the night. Single malt scotch is expensive. I would never expect a friend to leave a $100 bottle at my place. <laughs> to that we say, "Here, here." <laughs>
1: Thank you for sharing, Jeff. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
0: It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript comes directly from my dear friend Kelly Williams-Brown's book, gracious. I really have loved the theme of this book. I have noticed myself using the word gracious more frequently. I think it's sort of an attitude, an idea that um, we key into, and it has a lovely quality to it. Kelly truly believes graciousness can save the world, and I like anyone who champions for that. So I had two small sections that I wanted to read from her book, Gracious, which came out earlier this year. Graciousness, which is only in part about manners and etiquette, has a moral core. Oyster forks are but a tiny flourish on an enormous architecturally sound whole. It's assigning and extending humanity to everyone you meet, creating beauty where you can, showing love, even and especially when you don't feel like it. It's delighting in and celebrating the things that bring us and others joy. It's realizing the small things, which may seem so trifling, can anchor us to our best selves. I loved that definition of graciousness. And I just think that at this time of year in particular, it's nice to kind of start a year with a lot of hope. And on page 14, Kelly has this wonderful breakout section That is titled, Think in Terms of Us. And I thought this was probably one of the best tools that you could use in your sort of mental back pocket. Think in terms of us. I once read that in a marriage, you should try to always think in terms of us. And that you can tell a marriage is over when the couple isn't thinking in us terms anymore. But rather as you and me who have different competing objectives. You get your way, then I get my way, or maybe you always get your way, etc. The us framework treats both parties as a unit. Yes, their interests may be different or even in conflict, but the central question is what action moves that us forward. Try thinking about every relationship, no matter how brief, as an us It doesn't matter if that us is you and your spouse or you and the person behind the rental car counter. For however long or short a time that interaction may last, there is an us. What action on your end helps the us in the rental car counter example meet both your need to get a car and their need to do their job competently? This is a very gracious position. You are neither people-pleasing which entirely takes you out of the picture and is bound to leave you feeling unsatisfied, nor are you thinking just about what you want in this given moment, regardless of how that impacts the person on the other end of the transaction. You and not you are, in these minutes or months or decades, on the same team. Act accordingly. I like thinking about us and that the us is every single us moment you have throughout the day.
1: I could use a little more grace in my life, and I will use this as some inspiration to try to foster that.
0: (laughs) Kelly Williams-Brown, thank you so much for bringing your wonderful words into the world. And that's why I think manners are important. We like
1: to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we have two salutes.
0: Once again, I've been wanting to hit us with a double dose of salutes during the year and the start of the new.
1: Silas writes, Hello, I have an etiquette salute for you. Our etiquette salute goes out to Anna from Airbnb's Trip Experience team. Our host provided inaccurate information about our rental so it was unsuited to our needs. Anna took care of the situation so quickly, got us a refund, and made sure we were settled in with our next host and well taken care of. I really appreciated this as I was sick for the experience. Thank you, Anna. You represented the Airbnb brand exceedingly well.
0: And we also have a salute from Jenna. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've been listening to your show for about a year and a half and look forward to it every week. Thank you. I love discussing what I learn with my friends. Anyway, I am writing in with a bit of a belated etiquette salute to my best friend's mother. She is one of the kindest and most giving people I know. I lost my parents when I was in my late teens, and my nearest family is a 12-hour drive away. As you can imagine, the holiday season can be very difficult for me. And last year, when I was a senior in college, my best friend's mother invited me to spend the holidays with them. I had only met her once before, so I was very grateful for her invitation and looked forward to spending time with them. Throughout the few days I was there, she made me feel like I was part of the family by including me in traditions, making sure our meals fit my dietary requirements, and even made a stocking and put gifts under the Christmas tree for me, a gesture I was not expecting at all. I was so taken aback by her generosity then and throughout the time that I've known her. She's also helped me take care of my cat for almost two months while I was traveling and moving apartments and acted like I was the one doing her a favor. I am forever grateful for her kindness and for the role model she has become for me as I strive to show the people in my life the same level of consideration and respect. Thanks, Jenna.
1: And thank you, Jenna, for that lovely salute.
0: Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who has sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or
1: by phone. You can reach us at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post.
0: And I'm at Lizzie A. Post.
1: On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute.
0: And please help us out. You can become a sustaining member at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and consider leaving us a review.
1: Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks, Chris. Chris.